0: Welcome back to Pastorally Correct. I'm Chris McLaughlin, and today we're going to talk about Hanukkah. What is it? Why do Jewish people celebrate it? Is it something that Christians should observe? I have to say that for quite some time, I've been fascinated by Jewish culture and beliefs. Of course, growing up in a Christian home, as you read through the Old Testament, and even as you read through the New, it becomes readily apparent that in order to understand God's Word at all, we have to have some understanding of Jewish culture and belief structure. It's important. But in Bible college, there was a a formidable experience that I had that was really interesting and and piqued my interest in uh, Jewish beliefs and practices. As part of one of my uh, Bible studies classes, I had to go check out a a worship gathering of a different faith and so I chose Judaism and I went to a synagogue and they were very welcoming and accepting of me I explained why I was there and people were really friendly and it was interesting because I wondered how people from different faith traditions if they walked into say a church and said you know I'm not a Christian actually I'm this or that I practice in certain ways how they would be received especially if said I'm not really interested in being converted I'm just here to check it out and see how you do what you do. Well, they were very friendly. It was interesting because as in our practices and our gatherings – we stand and sit at different times, and those might seem really normal to us. But if you were somebody who was a guest or you had not had those kind of experiences, they might seem a little bit strange to you. And I definitely found that to be the experience. I didn't know when we were standing up, when we were sitting down, and those sort of things. And I felt much that way when I've attended Roman Catholic services as well. But as I said, they were very friendly, and and I found it just a, a really great experience. But one of the things that really stuck out in my mind was. This was outside of Boston. As I was being shown around, there's somebody who was a leader in the synagogue who took time to show uh, around the synagogue, and, and that was such a blessing. We had a great conversation. Uh, but as we were walking around, there was this display, and it was a giant scroll. And I mean, I, I don't know, it, it was probably six feet taller or, or larger. It was awe-inspiring in and of itself, if you were just to see and say, wow, this is really something. But we, what made it even more interesting was that it had a swastika stamped into it. It had been recovered from uh, one of the Holocaust camps. And it was something that was sobering. It was um, really intense. And to see the way that God had protected his people, and this served as a symbol for that, uh, even though evil was obviously pronounced and exists in this world, we saw that it did not triumph, and so that's something that's a, a lasting memory that I have of my one experience at a synagogue, but but the practices within Judaism themselves are are somewhat fascinating, and as it comes to, say, Hanukkah, there's a lot of questions that people might have about why, why people observe it. What does it mean? How did it come to be recognized? And so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that today. The first is, what is Hanukkah, and what led to the creation of this celebration? Well, Hanukkah, and I'm going to read to you from my Jewish learning. It's an online publication, and uh, the title of the article is actually Hanukkah 101. So we have a crash course here, an introductory course. It says, Hanukkah, where well, the festival of rededication celebrates the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem after its defilement by the Syrian Greeks in 164 B.C., Although it is a late addition to the Jewish liturgical calendar, the eight-day festival of Hanukkah has become a beloved and joyous holiday. It is also known as the Festival of Lights and usually takes place in December at the time of year when the days are shortest in the Northern Hemisphere. To read from another uh, publication, it's called JustDisciple.com, which is a Christian publication. It says... Hanukkah is an annual eight-day celebration of the Jews honoring the dedication of the temple and the miracle of the oil in 164 B.C. Now, it should be noted, by the way, that that idea of the oil um, being uh, miraculous, that there was a provision for oil for eight nights, that there should have only been enough oil to to last a night or two, but instead it was prolonged for eight nights, is one that was actually a late addition to uh, their records traditions. But it says Hanukkah usually falls somewhere in either November or December. Uh, We know that this year it falls uh, on December 7th through the 15th. Hanukkah is also referred to as the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights as it celebrates both the rededication of the Jewish Temple and the lighting of the menorah lampstand. And so that is what Hanukkah is. And as I read through that, it becomes pretty pretty apparent that Hanukkah isn't simply the, quote-unquote, Jewish Christmas, although there are gifts that are exchanged each evening in their observation of this this feast, uh, festival. So reading on, continuing on here in Just Disciple, the history of Hanukkah, it says, During the reign of Alexander the Great from 336 to 323 BC, the Jews were allowed to serve the one true living God according to his laws and commands. However, due to the invasion of Greeks with Alexander's reign, many of the Jews converted to Hellenistic culture, traditions, language, and dress. Several years after Alexander the Great had reigned over the land of Judah, another leader rose into power named Antiochus IV uh, Epiphanes. Now, it should be noted, by the way, and I'm just going to share off-script before I continue reading, that after Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided among his four generals. And so, for instance, like Egypt goes to Ptolemy. Uh, Cleopatra was the last of the of the Ptolemaic rulers. Um, but we find that the area around uh, Jerusalem and, and Israel at large was. Uh, Possessed by Seleucid And so the Seleucids would reign And Antiochus Epiphanes IV Would be one of those It says Antiochus IV Was cruel, as I continue reading And despised by the Jews He began oppressing them severely By making their temple unholy He placed a Hellenistic priest in the Jewish temple Which was dishonoring to God And the Mosaic law He also massacred many Jews Prohibited Jews from practicing their faith And required pig sacrifices on the altar at the temple. This is going to correspond with something that uh, is known as the abomination of desolation, or at least a foreshadowing of it. And I'm gonna talk about that more in just a few minutes. Continuing reading, it says, which is a non kosher animal in Jewish culture as it considers them unclean. During this time a rebellion was formed out of a small group of Jews who rose to fight against Antiochus. The this group was led by Mattathias. Maccabee and his son Judah Maccabee. Despite Antiochus' great army, the Maccabees were able to drive all the foreign armies from their land and reclaim Jerusalem in December 164 BC. After this, the Maccabees purified the temple and dedicated it back to the one true living God in the month of Kislev on the 25th day of the month. When it was time to relight the menorah lampstand, they searched the ruins of the temple and found only one day's worth of oil that had the pure seal of the high priest. That small jar of oil burned for eight days until more oil could be provided. Okay, so that was viewed as a miraculous provision. As I said, it was just they saw that they had only about a day's worth of oil, and that oil was able to stay lit uh, to allow the menorah stand to be lit for eight nights, which of course is, is why it is a festival of lights or a dedication ceremony, because the temple was rededicated at this time. But again, this fits within a bigger Within a bigger narrative, there is a revolt. We have this Seleucid king who has established false worship, and he has desecrated the temple. He is slaughtering the Jewish people. He is certainly what we would consider to be anti-Semitic. Uh, he is also somebody who uh, is, is forcing the the Jewish people to embrace cultural practices, even beyond religious practices, but they would have been anathema to the Jewish people. So what is the surrounding context? I want to back up just a little bit. I'm going to kind of reiterate some of these things, but expand upon them even further. And this is an article from gotquestions.org, which I've referenced before. It's what happened in the Maccabean Revolt. It says, um, the Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi covering events to roughly 400 B.C., after that, Alexander the Great all but conquers the known civilized world and dies in 323 BC. His empire is distributed to his four generals who consolidate their territory and establish their dynasties. Ptolemy, one of his generals, ruled in Egypt. Seleucus, another of his generals, ruled over a territory that included Syria. These generals founded dynasties that were often at war with one another. Israel, located between the two kingdoms, occupied a precarious position. Ptolemaic rule of Israel was tolerant of Jewish religious practices. However, the Seleucid Empire eventually won control of the area and began to curtail Jewish religious practices. In 175 BC, Antiochus IV came to power. He chose for himself the name Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He might have thought a little bit more of himself than he should have. He began to persecute the Jews in earnest. He outlawed Jewish religious practices, including the observance of kosher food laws and ordered the worship of the Greek god Zeus. His ultimate act of desecration uh, precipitating the Maccabean revolt was to sacrifice a pig to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem in 167 B.C. Faithful Jewish opposition had been an undercurrent all along, but Antiochus's overt act of desecration brought it to the surface, and the result was the Maccabean revolt, as I have already referenced. I'm going to continue reading. It says, under the leadership of Judas Maccabees, the rebellion continued successfully, and the Maccabees, as they were called, were able to capture Jerusalem and rededicate the temple in 164 BC. Now, This all falls in line with what I've already described, and I hope to add a little bit more depth to it. But basically, it's a time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a time period in which the Jewish people really are an occupied people, we find by the Greeks and then ultimately by the Romans. But when they are occupied by the Greeks, it really just depended on who was in power. When Ptolemy and his dynasties were in power, then they, the Jewish people were allowed to freely worship their God. But when, the, when Seleucus, uh, when his dynasties reigned, Then we found that Jewish religious practices were restricted, and not just were they restricted, but there was actually, there were offensive practices that were done, including this desecration of the temple in Jerusalem, which would never be tolerated, of course, by faithful Jewish people. Miraculously, God gave the Maccabean revolt victory. He allowed them to secure victory over a much larger and more powerful enemy, they were able to rededicate the temple because they were able to have oil uh, that allowed them to uh, to have the menorah lit. Th- while they awaited uh, more oil to, uh, to arrive, we find today that they continue to celebrate Hanukkah. With that, the question becomes, are there any reasons a professing Christian shouldn't celebrate Hanukkah? With that explained, this is a historical event. Nobody uh, discredits the reality of what took place. Of course, there is a uh, recognition of God's deliverance of the Jewish people from a Gentile power. There is uh, alleged to be a supernatural provision of oil. And again, that is a little bit of a late addition to rabbinic tradition. But is there are there any reasons a professing Christian shouldn't celebrate Hanukkah? Well, I'm going to give you five, and you might be able to come up with some others. But the first is that it is a relatively minor festival within Judaism, uh, one that even the practicing Jew is not obligated to observe. It's not detailed in the Mosaic Law, for instance. Now, of course, that's because it become, it comes along much later, but it's not one that the Jewish people are simply obligated to observe. It is one that comes about as a later practice. Second, Romans 14.12 uh, tells us that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God as uh, those adhering to a Baptistic faith tradition, uh, we maintain individual soul liberty, which means that as it relates to observing holidays or any sort of observation like that, we have liberty. We are not forced. We're not under law. We have the freedom to choose whether it offends our conscience or whether we have the liberty of conscience to go ahead and observe a festival. Third, we certainly reject the notion of forced corporate worship as this would be. In other words, if we were as a church, for instance, to say that you must observe some holiday or some festival in order to be a God-fearing Christian, that would— uh, contradict what the Apostle Paul described, where he talked about feasts and festivals and new moons, and and these being issues that need not be divisive. They're not ones that anybody is obligated to observe, and so of course we would never force anybody to do so. And so in our co- corporate settings, as it is not forced, oftentimes it's not even encouraged. It's not discussed one way or another. The fourth, we appreciate uh, the rich heritage of faith from which Christianity arose. But we do not give theological acceptance to Jewish beliefs or religious pluralism in general. I've read some as I was preparing for this uh, to record this podcast. I read some that, of course, embraced the religious pluralism of our day that said, you know, we all worship the same God. We all believe the same thing. So it doesn't matter to celebrate one another's holidays now at feasts and festivals and things of the like. Now, I think if we are celebrating for that purpose, then we are wrong. Uh, the distinction in theological convictions between, say, us and Judaism are profound. We believe that the Messiah has come, that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. We are no longer— searching for a Messiah, we are eagerly awaiting his second coming at this time. This is a key distinction. We also, of course, uh, recognize the Trinity. And so there are a number of significant theological differences. With that said, we have a lot of respect for the Jewish people. Uh, We recognize their faith tradition. Uh, We even celebrate the aspects of it from which, of course, we recognize our religious heritage. we denounce things like anti-Semitism, and we ought to. At the same point, we don't say, well, we worship all the same, all of our practices don't matter, and however you choose to worship, it doesn't matter, and we can agree to disagree on the subject, for instance, of Jesus being the Messiah. That is not a trivial fact to the professing uh, Christian. Fifth, Some Christians may maintain that while the events surrounding the rededication of the temple did point to a future fulfillment of prophecy, that prophecy has been fulfilled already. And so there are going to be some who look at the actions of Antiochus Epiphanes, and they're going to say, well, this is the abomination of desolation that the prophet Daniel anticipated. It is what Jesus spoke of in the Gospels as well. And now there are some who would say, well, we await the future fulfillment of that. We believe that the antichrist will desecrate the temple, that he will make a covenant with the people of Israel, but then he will break that covenant. He will desecrate the temple and then he will persecute, uh he will persecute the Jewish people. Well, That is a a view that the futurist maintains, and I am a futurist, but there are some who believe that this already occurred when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And if they believe that, they would say, well, there's really no value to looking ahead, so there's no reason to look back at what God did through the Maccabean revolt as a need to look ahead, so of course there's no reason to observe it at all from a Christian perspective. And so these are five reasons, and again, the second that I gave is probably the most significant to those from a Baptistic faith tradition, and that is that simply you are not forced in one way or another to observe any feast, festival, holiday. You have the freedom of conviction to determine whether it is right in your conscience and your expression of religious liberty to do so. Well, those are the reasons One might not celebrate Hanukkah, but what are some reasons one might? And I'm going to give you six reasons, and I'm going to revisit that idea again. Romans 14.12, an individual soul liberty. In your individual soul liberty, you might say... I think it's an important part of my faith tradition to recognize what God has historically done to the Jewish people. Anytime God has made himself known and he has done great things, each time he has delivered the Jewish people from a Gentile army, every time he has demonstrated the significance of his temple and proper order in worship, those are events worth celebrating. And somebody might say, for them, that is a... That is a feast, a festival that is worth observing. And uh, in their individual soul liberty, they would certainly be free to observe it. The second, uh, some may appreciate solidarity with the Jewish people and a recognition that God will continue to deliver them from their enemies. I think of how relevant that topic is today as uh, the nation of Israel was attacked by Hamas. The reality is that throughout the history of the world, there has been anti-Semitism. There have been people who have sought to destroy the Jewish people. There have been those who have sought to make a mockery of their faith tradition even. And from all of those opponents, no matter how mighty they seem to be or invincible, such as Nazi Germany, which at one time seemed like a completely indestructible juggernaut, and yet it fell just the same. The same with Antiochus Epiphanes, who seemed to be so powerful, and yet his demise was sure. And though the Greek armies were so uh, much stronger than those that were led by uh, by the Maccabees, nevertheless, they still fell. And so, in standing in solidarity with the Jewish people and to say, I oppose anti-Semitism, one might very well say that Hanukkah, because of the historical context out of which it arose, this would be a great thing for one to observe. The third is that it serves as a reminder of Jesus's Jewish roots. Notably, Jesus observed Hanukkah. In John ten twenty two, we find that he goes up during the during the festival of dedication, which is what it is called in the New Testament. So this is really interesting. When we study Jesus, one of the things that we need not ever lose sight of is the fact that Jesus was a first century Jew. Uh, To understand his words, to understand how people approached him, the questions they asked, the historical context in general in which he lived, we have to understand him in that light. Uh, It has only been actually in the last few hundred years as people have really started to study the history of the New Testament and have asked Who was Jesus really? Is he somebody we can recreate in our own image? Is he somebody that we interpret through our own culture? God-fearing people have to push back against things like that. We need to revisit and ask, who was Jesus really? What did he teach in context? What does that mean for me? The first book, by the way, in uh, that tradition of studying Jesus in this context was a book written in the 18th century uh, called The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer. Uh, there have been many other works. Uh, N.T. Wright has written a number of great books on this subject, including Jesus and the Victory of God, in case you were interested in the historical Jesus debate, but it does affirm Jesus' Jewish roots. If we are going to uh somebody might choose to celebrate Hanukkah on the basis of that. Now as I say that, again I want to note that the church-age saints are not simply Israel. We have not replaced Israel. God still has a future plan for his covenant people. We are church-age saints. As such, we, as I've already described, we are not bound to observe any feast or festival, not even simply because Jesus did in his practices. For instance, many uh, Christians do not celebrate the Passover, whereas we have a few incidences, a few years' worth of Jesus celebrating the Passover in their respective gospels. Fifth, if rabbinic tradition are to be uh, believed, God allowed oil to remarkably burn for eight nights, and we could celebrate God's act of provision. We could say, look how miraculous it is that God was so concerned about orderly worship in his temple that he miraculously provided. I don't know if he did or not, but if one in faith wants to believe that that is what took place, then that would certainly be worth celebrating, and Christians in their individual soul liberty might very well do so. And finally, those who are futurists believe that the events around the Maccabean Revolt point to a future fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So I want to talk a little bit more about the... um, about the abomination of desolation. I'm going to read from Got Questions again and uh, just a few more minutes on this podcast. But it says, uh, Jesus spoke of a coming abomination of desolation in the Olivet Discourse as he referenced a future event mentioned in Daniel 9, 27. In Matthew 24, 15 through 16, Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Uh, It continues, Jesus referenced Daniel and his words in the Olivet Discourse. The prophet Daniel mentions the abomination of desolation in three places, and I'm just going to read one. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, which is seen uh, by some as as a group of seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decree destruction is poured out on the desolator. Uh, I will read another. Daniel twelve eleven says, From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days or three and a half years. The wording in the above translations indicates that the abomination of desolation is an object. In some other translation, the abomination appears to be a person. On the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolates in the ESV. Regardless of whether the abomination of desolation is a person or a thing, Daniel predicted the following one, a future ruler will make a treaty with the people of Israel. Two, the terms of this treaty will be for a week, which we take to be a period of seven years. This is GodQuestions.org saying that. Midway through this time, the ruler will gather his troops and put an end to the sacrifices and offerings in his temple. Fourth, at that time, the ruler will desecrate the temple, setting up some type of sacrilegious object, and fifth, the desecration of the temple will continue until the judgment of God is finally meted out on the ruler and his followers, three three and a half years in one month, 1290 days later. Daniel's prophecies about the abomination of desolation seem to have at least a partial fulfillment in 167 BC when a Greek ruler by the name of Antiochus IV desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. I'm just going to stop there from reading, but this is notable. We find many times in Scripture that there is a partial fulfillment of a prophecy, and then later there is a full fulfillment of it. And many believers, uh, many who hold to a futurist uh, perspective, meaning that what Jesus prophesies in Matthew 24 uh, will be fulfilled at a later date. They weren't fulfilled, say, in 70 AD throughout the fall of Jerusalem, but instead we are still awaiting the fulfillment of them. They look at Antiochus and they say, well, some of those five characteristics he did match up with, but he doesn't fulfill all of them. And And nobody did, by the way, around 70 AD or any other time in Israel history, and so we are awaiting a future fulfillment. And if we believe that this is a literal prophecy, and I think we have very good reason to do so, then there is a future fulfillment. And so what we do, what some may do, is they, if they choose to celebrate Hanukkah, is they would look back and they would say, see, God delivered somebody who was a type or a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, and that would be Antiochus the Epiphanes. As he desecrated the temple, he, he did that horrific act, and yet God still miraculously provided and protected his people, provided for and protected his people. And so we know that when the Antichrist comes, when he does what has been prophesied, that God will continue to protect his people and miraculously provide for them. And that is something worth celebrating. And so for the follower of Jesus Christ, celebrating Hanukkah might take on a dimension similar to Advent, where we look back, but more importantly, we look forward. Or I don't know if I should say more importantly, but we add a lot of emphasis to the future. We look forward to say there is coming a day when all of God's prophecies will find literal and full fulfillment, and we eagerly await that day. Now, did I answer the question, should you as a Christian observe Hanukkah? Not really, uh, and I probably never will on questions like that. Instead, you have individual soul liberty, but I wanted you to understand the background of it, how it came to be observed uh, I was even I even repeated some things a few times because I don't want you to miss them but from there gave reasons why one might choose not to and why one choose one might choose to. whatever you do do all unto the glory of God. I look forward to discussing more subjects with you next week. May the Lord bless you.